This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. The war in Ukraine and requests by President Volodymyr Zelensky for more weapons have thrown the spotlight on companies making traditional military equipment, such as Germany's Rheinmetall, which manufactures the Leopard 2 tanks now being offered to Kyiv. Unmanned high-tech drones, used for surveillance but also to strike targets, are also a big part of the conflict. How is the debate about technology in combat shifting? And are investors' attitudes also changing? To learn more, listen on. Calls from President Volodymyr Zelensky for more weapons have dominated leaders' discussion this year at the annual Munich Security Conference, the biggest global gathering on defense issues. The current focus is on tanks and missiles, but surveillance and remote combat are also part of the picture. For this week's episode of the Exchange podcast, I sat with Lawrence Meyer, CEO and founder of US-based drone software company Otarian, on the sideline of the Munich conference to get a sense of the role technology can play in the conflict. The market for commercial drones, which are used for surveillance, is estimated to grow from $30 billion to over $500 billion in 2030. Yet, it is currently dominated by China's DJI, which had a 76% market share in 2021 and has seen some of its drones used in the Ukraine conflict. I also discussed shifting investors' attitude towards companies involved in the aerospace and defense sector amid growing geopolitical tensions and whether companies previously ignored by venture capital funds and other investors are now gaining favor. So good morning, Lawrence. It's very nice to have you here um, at, uh, on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference. So I just wanted to learn a little bit more about your company, Otarian. So the company makes software for drones, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about it? So we're building an operating system for autonomous systems. Right now, the main autonomous systems we're serving are drones. And you can think of it similar to Android for drones. I mean, we're not making Android, but we're making an operating system. You can install applications on board, which is really important because, for example, we ha- we're working with DroneUp. Um, we're serving Walmart's end customers for last mile delivery. And they have installed four different applications on board of these cargo drones that are specifically integrated with that workflow and use case. And so that sort of allows them to make, let's say, changes en route, or um, how does it work? It's, well, that too, but the most important thing is we are a platform company. So we we build one operating system for any industry, including government applications. And then the individual 
end users can bring their own integrations, their own software. So like for example, integrating into the Walmart uh, store system for inventory or for uh, knowing what the address is where the drone should deliver to without us as a company having you know to build custom software for every single customer indeed so we we are however at a defense and security conference and i understand that you know the software can be used you know for many purposes so when it comes to the defense sector i mean which which segments are you in, you know involved with or potentially you know involved with so we believe that any good technology should be available to Western government. Be, we basically have a code of ethics that uh, allows us to work with all uh, liberal democracies. And we think that's just important. And we have, to be, we have to have the courage to get the best technology um, into the hands of people who, who are tasked uh, to defend our freedom, and including the freedom of Ukraine. I mean, are you at all involved in, let's say, operations there or, you know, potentially involved in operations there? So I think that's, a, that's an interesting and difficult question because we, we're very uh, considerate, considerate about operational security. Mm. Um, I know there are companies that use Ukraine as a marketing instrument, um, but you can be certain that our end customers, our end users are present in the most challenging government operations uh, imaginable. Um, and uh, w we have worked, for example, with the US government since 2018, um, very shortly after uh, founding the company. Indeed, but I also so um, I mean, in your ethical code that, you know, there are limits uh, to what uh, the company would get involved with. So I, I understand that, you know, if there are operations that would lead to lethal events maybe you don't want to do that i mean can you just explain you know what kind of self restrictions you have yeah so so we do have a code of ethics that says um that we're not basically not building munitions and um and that's something that they're more specialized companies to do that we don't need to dabble in that but of course if you work with a government um you are and you're selling to a department of defense you, you are part of the operation of that and and i think that positions us very similar to a traditional aviation company where you make aviation assets um, it doesn't mean you have to go all the way to uh, yeah warheads or munitions I mean obviously the company is private and still quite small but uh, I wonder the fact that you are positioned you know within the aerospace and defense let's say segment does this limit the potential pool of money that can fund you so because we we cover commercial cargo um, and government is one of our sectors a very strong sector um, we are always seen more as a as a yeah well-rounded company by the investment community i will say though that since the war in ukraine um, the mindset has changed quite a bit and we have people who want to help the company want to invest because um, people start to understand that as I said earlier, we, we have to have the courage to be technologically competitive with adversaries that are threatening not just our way of life, but the very freedom um, that we all enjoy. Um, I mean, I, I've 
heard similar conversations um, you know, from other people at this conference exactly about this point. I wonder whether you can be slightly more specific, of course, you know, without revealing um, company details. But, you know, what are we talking about here? Is it like more maybe VC companies that are starting to talk to you or kind of is it easier to engage with the banks if you need lending or, you know, other forms of credit, you know? So, so explain to us a little bit what has changed. So I think two things have changed. Um, today, for a typical venture capital firm um, investing into a company that maybe is not like pure play defense, but also has defense business, it's not a concern anymore. Um, two years ago, that for some was a concern. And what I'm starting to see emerge more and more is that venture capital uh, firms and family offices start to specifically look for defense deals um, because they feel that's important to support um, and or because they've uh, they've seen that as a new industry that they haven't really invested in and something that they feel could be uh, could be quite valuable but is it also because obviously um, we've heard lots of announcements from governments in Europe, in Germany, where um, the conference is taking place, um, governments who say they want to raise their defense budget because, obviously, of the situation in Ukraine. So is that interest maybe driven by the fact that there will be more money for procurement, for defense procurement? Well, I'm sure it is. And uh, financially, it makes total sense. The overall autonomous systems market is... I would say government heavy and the huge expansion of uh, defense budgets will mean that the overall industry will grow dramatically and so it makes total sense from a financial perspective to look to look at that sector plus I think for the first time in 70 80 years it's not just about an industry anymore that that has I would say um, a complex history but now we're talking about the freedom of a democracy that's at stake. And so it's not just potentially financially rewarding for investors. It is also something that's worth supporting just on purely ethical terms. So are we maybe saying that the social, the S of the ESG suddenly becomes relevant for some of these companies in your sectors? I, I can't speak how in, for how investors that are seeing, but I personally strongly believe in that there is a responsibility and any company, for example, that today would not support Ukraine or not deliver because it's an active war zone is basically taking capabilities away from free people in a democracy to defend themselves. And that has completely flipped the ethics of being involved in defense because now suddenly if you're not supporting that, you're actually implicitly helping um, the aggression because now now you take means away for for defense yes um, I, I also wanted to ask you something about procurement in general so one of the complaints I've heard is that it's incredibly slow when it comes to the military I mean I've heard companies saying they've been in discussion for like 20 years you know before getting a commission um, do you sense that, again, I mean, the very sad situation we're experiencing in Ukraine is somehow helping, you know, unjam a little bit uh, that very slow system? 
So the reason I'm at the Munich Security Conference is that uh, this is a long-standing issue and it requires not just interfacing with the working level, but also with the policy level. Now, the situation in Ukraine hasn't, and that's surprising and not surprising at the same time, it hasn't really changed acquisition fundamentally. It is still a quite elaborate process. I think the Pentagon has done a pretty good job at cutting through a significant amount of red tape. It would be great if Europe would look more to that example. We have seen much less of that speed up here. But for us as a company that uh, is aligned with our strategy, because we've been in the US market for quite some time, we're working closely with the customer. So it's not really an issue or something I would complain about, but I, I definitely think that Europe could do more and could do more in its share um, to secure its own freedom. Okay, so in your, um, let's say in your split of revenue, I mean, I don't know exactly how to look um, at the company, but you know, you said, I mean, obviously you're involved in the civil and in the sort of government defense side. So which one is prevalent, you know, and roughly how do we split it? I mean, keeping in mind the company is still quite small. Right now, with the current uh, international situation, we are heavier on the defense side. And um, I honestly expect that to continue because we're, we live in completely new times. Um, the international order has, has never been that uh, destabilized over the past decades. So, so to just get us a better sense, you know, what the software can do in these um, um, war situations, I mean, and, and considering the, the, the ethical limits that you've imposed to the company. So what kind of operations, you know, would the software, with drones, obviously, would the software support? So we, we, in our core product, do communications, we network autonomous systems, um, we are providing an operating system that includes the flight controls to keep them in the air or both controlled on water. And so th the interesting thing is that what we provide, it's, it's, I would compare that to windows on a laptop or a pickup truck or something like that. Our core product is never specific to the end use case. We don't build cargo drones. We don't build defense drones. We don't build anything that's specific to it. But the overall platform we're providing can, of course, be used in all these different use cases. And then we have uh, end customers that then yeah, complement the full workflow, make them useful. And in the defense space, that means uh, uh, reconnaissance, detecting activities on the front line, for example, and then feeding that into information systems so that better decisions can be made Okay, so surveillance is a, is a big area by the sound uh, by the sound of it. But you you would not supply the software to drones that can strike, for instance, a target. Is that correct? Just to better understand, you know, the limits. I mean, we would not we would not build drones or be involved with drones that can strike a target. Um, in the end, in the end, we provide our technology to a wide number of uh, of, of end users. Um, so I think while we don't do it, we have seen consumer drones retrofitted for other things. So, right. And that's where I'm also coming a little bit with the pickup track analogy. What we're building is fundamentally neutral mm -hmm. uh, and civil. 
but at the same time, uh, the same way as Toyota can't uh, control what gets mounted on a pickup truck, we in the end can't control what gets mounted on, on an unarmed drone. Understood. Um, I just wanted to go back to the topic of more money coming to the defense sector from governments. How do you see this money being spent? Because uh, there's been a huge debate in, you know, in Germany where we are, for instance, about you know, whether to support um, Ukraine with Leopard 2 tanks, which are... Um, you know, bring back memory of um, wars of the past. Uh, um, so is the feeling that the money is going to go to traditional weapons or, you know, stuff that is kind of used for traditional warfare, so tanks, I mean, ammunitions, or, or will there be a focus on technology, which is kind of, you know, your areas of concern? Because people felt at some point that the war of the future was really the one, you know, um, with drones, you know, unmanned drones, you know, there won't be kind of, you know, face-to-face -face combat anymore, but clearly Ukraine has showed us something different. I think Ukraine is pretty unique because you have two former Soviet armies uh, confronting each other. I think, I, I'm not sure how how predictive that is um, for future conflict. However, I will say that what Ukraine needs right now, and I'm not a military expert, but according to the, what I've read, is are the hardware fundamentals. It is ammunition, it is logistics. At the same time, they're already making use of drones for, for better planning, for more efficient planning heavily, so reconnaissance is super important to them. And I will say that the cost of either deploying autonomous systems for reconnaissance or accelerating their development is very low. Like in, in this commercially derived sector, $10 million, $50 million are sizable amounts that can move the needle quite a bit in terms of buying a lot of systems or uh, supporting significant R&D. And so I don't think there's actually a competition really because Drones are commercially derived, like smartphones, like other technologies. They're really inexpensive. And so for me, it's not what should you focus on. So I think the argument needs to be, this is so inexpensive. You have to do it anyway. And you can still keep everything else in terms of logistical support going. I mean, you just said now that, you know, what we're kind of seeing on the ground in Ukraine may not be predictive of the war of the future, I mean, what is the war of the future going to look like? I mean, obviously, we hope that there won't be wars, but... Um. Well, I, I really, really hope there won't be, and I hope that uh, a defeat of Russia and Ukraine will set an example that in the 21st century, uh, the realities of the previous century don't hold anymore, that you um, like can just take territory by force. At the same time, um, we're looking anxiously at the situation between uh, China and Taiwan. And if a war were to break out in the next couple of years, I would expect uh, a significant share of unmanned assets being used. Um, China has been quite advanced in drones, has the world leading consumer drone company, DJI, comes out of China. We don't know what what is happening behind closed doors, what they're developing. And so I think the reality we need to face in the West is we have to assume to confront an adversary with significant autonomous capabilities, um, with very limited 
ethical concerns, if any. And um, from a technological technological perspective, it's just super important to stay competitive with that. And then I'm I'm definitely uh, also with our own code of ethics. I'm definitely in favor of limiting the use of that. Not everything that is possible should be done, but that can't mean that you're not investing in the fundamental technology. You have to, you have to be competitive because otherwise what happens is that we will be confronted with a situation where an adversary like China or even a smaller adversary because this technology is so cheap to build um, is facing Western troops or allied troops. And so we have a um, sort of uncrewed versus crude system combat uh, which which would not be explainable in the West and which would w make it really, really hard um, to defend and hold position. Um, and, and we're seeing that in Ukraine right now where they're facing really huge losses that probably no other country that wouldn't be um, in, in this position would actually be able to justify and hold up. Oh, absolutely. Um just um, talking again about the arms race that we're witnessing a little bit. I mean, do you feel that uh, it's chiefly in American companies and American technology companies that are or will continue to benefit because maybe there's not so much capability, for instance, in Europe? So to scale up quickly, yeah, you have to so turn to America? So I think, uh, so, so I think they're, they're like two very old wisdoms uh, regarded to that, uh, regarding that. Number one, the US market is the single biggest cohesive market when it comes to regulations and your overall infrastructure. And so it always makes sense to go to the US market first. And that is why US and I would say clever international startups both do that. And then the other reality is that uh, the DOD budget is the largest uh, defense budget in the world. And so if you take that together from, from an aviation perspective, any aviation company should be focused on the US because that's, that's where the initial market is. I don't think it matters where the company is sort of probably based matters. We, um, we're based in uh, Southern California, but it doesn't matter where you develop or if you have a multinational team or, or things like that. I, I mean, every every large U.S. corporation has that by now. But I do think you should be focused on the U.S. market. That is still true. And I even feel it here at the conference. If I talk to our American partners, it's very clear that international security and tech belong to each other. And Ukraine is showing that. Whereas with some of our European partners, tech is still seen as this interesting innovation topic, but it's not necessarily considered to be one of one and the same, despite the massive innovation seen in Ukraine, not just with drones, but also with mobile applications, open source intelligence, and all that, which is all tech. Do you think tech is fairly represented here at the conference? I, I would I would encourage uh, MSC to maybe uh, consider to, to add more attention to it, in particular since the audience is usually still a little bit far from it. And so it might be fairly represented already, but I do also think that a conference like this one can help nudge the audience to maybe get closer, get more comfortable. 
I wanted to touch maybe on one final topic, and it is the topic of cyber threats, which obviously are relevant for anyone, you know, um, also involved in uh, your type of product. Uh, so, um, again, you know, similar question, what has changed in terms of the cyber risk uh, since this conflict erupted in Europe, and, you know, how does it change the perception you have, you know, when you go about your business? That is an interesting question because for us it hasn't really changed the perception of cyber risk. We always assumed that cyber risk is super relevant, um, something to be focused on. But that's maybe also because Autarian was founded at a time where cyber was already a well-established threat. I will say that I've seen overall across the, I would say, more traditional players a much more a much bigger focus on cyber, but at least for us, it, it hasn't really changed anything um, because we were worried about that before and we're worried about it now. Is that going to change with the advance of quantum technology and those supercomputers that in theory will be able to crack, you know, every code? Well, so I'm really focused on, on my lane, which is around... <laughs> autonomous systems. Um, I think we should be worried about any sort of disruption, um, but I really, I, I don't want to speculate on that. No, absolutely. Okay, so maybe uh, a final question on, you know, going forward. So it's been a year since the war. So going forward this year ahead, of course, we have no idea how the conflict will develop. But, you know, from your business perspective, what will be your focus and your priorities? In the current year? Yeah. Well, our our company is covering multiple fields. So we're this year really focused on making cargo drones uh, more prevalent, rolling out at greater scale. We're making great progress automating inspection for power lines in the US, for example. And then, of course, we're committed to support um, our government partners and, uh, of course, also including Ukraine to have the best information gathering capability uh, possible with uh, autonomous systems. Okay, well, thank you, Lawrence. Thank you for joining me today with this fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Thomas Schoen. Subscribe to The Exchange and to our sister podcast, The Views Room, on Acast, Spotify, or elsewhere. You can follow us every day on breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.